This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for Thursday, June 9th, 2022. In this week's Intego Mac Podcast, we'll give you an overview of the new products and features announced at this year's WWDC keynote. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing just fine. Did you watch the TV on Monday? <laughs> I watched it actually on my computer, but I suppose I could have just pulled up the uh, the WWDC keynote on my Apple TV. You could. You go into you. I know you've got a, a TV room with a projector and all that. You could go in there, get some popcorn, get some a nice big supersized Coke, sit down with your laptop to take notes because you take a lot of notes during these presentations. Yeah, I, I do. <laughs> I want to like at least write down, okay, these are the key points that they talked about. I don't take notes on every detail of everything, but I, I like to have something to reference. It, it helps commit it to memory, right? When you're writing things down. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so I just kind of wrote down a few highlights and, and you actually wrote some really nice articles on the Mac security blog detailing all of the things that Apple announced. Oh, not all of the things at all. There was some, it would have taken 5,000 words to cover all of the things. I picked the ones that seemed the most interesting. I have two articles. One is discussing the general presentation and the second one is looking at security and privacy features. So let's start with the general presentation. No one was expecting new hardware, even though people are always thinking maybe there'll be new hardware at WWDC. And it kind of made sense because they presented the M2 processor, which I must say, when you when you remember the presentation for the M1, you know that guy Johnny, I think he's Italian. He's in that underground room with all the computers behind him, and he's going through like billions of transistors and trillions of operations per second. That's like, for me, that replaces the gaming demo that used to be the bathroom break. But he spends a lot of time talking about it. And for the M1, there were all these curves that were vague, but the M1 was so much higher than Intel. And here, the M2, well, it's 18% better here and 25% better there. And it's not such an earth-shattering change as the M1 was, but there's one really important point that the M2 can handle 24 gigabytes of RAM up from 16 on the M1. Now, for most of us, that won't matter because I'm still using my 8 gigabyte MacBook Air from 2020. But for a lot of people, getting this extra 8 gigabytes of RAM is going to make a big difference. Well, yeah, certainly. There are some use cases where you might actually need more RAM. For me personally, I have used Macs with 24 gigs of RAM in the past, but it's kind of like not really that necessary in most situations now. I think just because of how good the memory management is in Mac OS, it's not... And particularly with the M1 processor. Right, right. It's so much more efficient. Yeah, it's not as big of a deal as it once was to have tons and tons of memory. It, it certainly it, it flew in the face of conventional wisdom that you could get away with even 16 gigs of RAM, right? If you, if you had a pro computer, how could you only have 16 gigs of RAM? That sounds pretty amateurish. <laughs> it, it really does. But the M1 systems have actually been really good, really fast, and they handle memory really well. However, this is definitely a good thing for people who really do have scenarios where they need to throw all the RAM that they can possibly throw at a task. Now you've got the M2. So what do you think about the new MacBook Air? Now, personally, I've had a number of MacBook Airs since the very first one that was released in 2008. It really is my favorite Mac. 
I'm, I'm going to kind of miss that aerodynamic shape in the new MacBook Air, but I really like it, and I think I'm going to buy one. So this was a really big surprise to me. I, I was surprised that the first computer they announced with the M2 processor was the MacBook Air. I totally expected them to say, oh, and now the Pro computers are going to get the M2. But the first computer they announced with the M1 was the MacBook Air as well. Remember that? Yeah, but I, I kind of felt like that made sense, right? They wanted to try it out on sort of a consumer product where if if you didn't really think that it was all that great, well, it's okay. Like, it's just a consumer product that we just want to start putting them out there, right? But you have a short memory because the M1, just the plain M1, is the consumer version. It's the M1 Pro Max Ultra that are the better versions. So when we see the new Mac Pro, or if there's a larger iMac, they're going to have the M2 Pro Ultra fast, turbocharged, whatever. So this is the groundwork for the next series of M2 processors. Okay, well, that could be. And, and now the MacBook Pro was also announced as being available soon with the M2 processor. That was kind of odd to me. The MacBook Air, I agree with you. It's super weird that it's no longer a tapered design where it's extra super thin in the front, more so than in the back, right? They're not doing that anymore with the MacBook Air, which feels wrong to me. <laughs> it feels like, no, 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 how, that's, that's, you can't call that an Air. That's just a regular laptop now. It's not that much lighter than the MacBook Pro, in fact. But what's interesting is they now have the MacBook Air, 13-inch, or actually 13.6, the 13-inch MacBook Pro and the 14-inch MacBook Pro. So they've got three computers down at the end, and they're still selling the M1 MacBook Air. So they actually have four computers down at the low end within a couple hundred dollars of each other. So I think it's going to be uh, – there are some advantages to the new MacBook Air. It's got a much better display. It's got a liquid retina display. The screen is 64 pixels higher, which is just enough to put a notch in it. Right, 64 pixels is the height of the menu bar. It is thinner and wider. I think the black one is sexy. I haven't had a black laptop since I can't remember how long. But it's gone up $200 over the M1 MacBook Air. Mm -hmm. It is interesting that they are still leaving the existing M1 MacBook Air on sale. So it's cheaper, and that's probably all a lot of people are going to need, right? Uh, you don't necessarily need an M2 and you know mega fast everything if you're just getting a consumer laptop for browsing the web, I mean, well, frankly, you could just get a Chromebook for a lot cheaper than a <laughs> MacBook. But. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk operating systems. macOS Ventura is obviously full of new features. Now, it's really important to note that when they did this presentation, they presented iOS and iPadOS and macOS, and each time they picked a few features. But most of these features are available on all three of the operating systems. I think the marquee feature is this thing called Stage Manager, which is a new way of windowing. And what's interesting is it's available on the iPad as well. It's the first time you can have multiple windows on the iPad. Yes, you can do split view. And I still accidentally tap the top of the iPad and end up with split view. And even though I wrote a couple of articles about it explaining it, I still don't know how to use it. One of the problems with this is all of the examples they show are with windows taking up perhaps half the screen with all this extra space around them. And most people, they want their windows to fill space. I think the display on the left showing all the windows in miniature kind of tilted is, is interesting, but I'm not sure how practical this is going to be for real world usage. That's interesting. I was thinking this was something where you could pull up this interface, this sidebar stage manager thing. 
I didn't think it was just going to be sitting there the whole time. No, no, it's an option in Control Center. It's a toggle. You turn it on or turn it off. Okay. So you can use a normal windowing, but if you want to have this windowing where you're seeing the additional windows from the other apps, you can choose to do this. But then does it just stay there the whole time you're using Stage Manager? You've got all these icons on the on the left side? Yeah, if you look at my article on the Intego Mac Security blog, you'll see one of Apple's screenshots, and they've got like – there's one window open and then there's five groups of windows on the left. And so if you switch to one of those apps, they come into the front. The other ones go away. The only thing I can see is sometimes I, I do a, a newsletter for a charity and sometimes I've got several windows open. Some of them are graphics. Some of them are files. And it might be a better way to see what I need to access to put into the into the document, but in normal use, I can't see doing that. I, I mean, this is, it's, you know, everyone's different. Doing this on the iPad looks like it might be confusing. Now, one of the key things to know about this feature for the iPad, it's only available for M1 iPads. So that's the current iPad Pro models and the latest iPad Air, which means that my iPad mini six, which came out last year, six months ago, not even, can't run this feature which means that any other iPad that's a little bit older or a little bit cheaper, right, that's the more expensive iPad Pro, can't run this feature. I kind of think that the M1 is going to be an inflection point on the iPad and potentially on the Mac for features that it can run and other devices can't. Now, this is almost the only feature that I've noticed on the new operating systems that requires a specific model like that. There are some on the iPhone as well. But this is the marquee feature and only having it available for the most expensive iPads, well, plus the iPad Air, which is ridiculously expensive, but only for the most recent iPads seems a bit problematic. Yes. And especially when, I mean, really, what is it about this feature that would actually require a specific processor? That doesn't make any sense. Now, the speculation I've seen is that the M1 iPads can write virtual memory swap files that the other ones can't, and that you've got all these apps open and they need to be responsive really quick, so you need extra memory. And since the storage on an iPad is flash storage and relatively quick, that they're able to load the apps more efficiently. Now, I don't know how true this is, but some people who know have been speculating about this. Now, I, I want to talk about a feature that I found really surprising when Craig Federighi stuck his iPhone on top of a laptop to use as a webcam. For me, that was an admission that the webcams in Apple laptops are not very good. Oh, man, I have so many things to say about this. Okay, well, let's not spend too much time on it, but tell me your true thoughts about this, Josh. I, I know we just talked about this last week, and I know it's still cliche, but immediately, as soon as I saw this demonstration of sticking an iPhone on top of your laptop <laughs> display, this immediately popped into my head. Steve Jobs would never have allowed something <laughs> so stupid looking. Okay, now I do want to talk about desk view, which was the thing that if your iPhone is there, you can show someone a view that looks like they're looking down at your desk. Now think about this. The iPhone is looking out but it's showing something that's looking down. And near as I can figure, it's using, it has to have the ultra-wide camera. So only an iPhone with three cameras will be able to do this. Near as I can figure is it's taking a photo and it's using some really fancy what's called keystone adjustments, which let's say you take a photo of a building looking up and it gets narrower. A keystone lets you widen the building to make it look straight. So they're using sort of AI and keystone to really do something that, that's actually spooky. 
Okay. Now, I have to admit that this is actually pretty impressive. So if there's any reason to do something as goofy looking as sticking an iPhone at the top of your computer's display, this is the reason. Uh, I, I don't really see a lot of people necessarily using this in public, but I can imagine if you're giving a product demonstration and you need to be able to show people what you're doing on your desk while also showing your face, this is really smart. I, and and I think they mentioned during the presentation that the way this works is they're using specifically that ultra wide camera. So if you have the three cameras on the back of your iPhone, one of those cameras is going to be looking at what you're doing on your desk while another camera is looking at your face. Right, right. It, it's pretty clever. And this isn't even plugged in. This is They call this continuity camera. It's all wireless, the same way you have handoff and continuity with other things. Let's just go through quickly a few of the other main features. I really like the personalized lock screen on the iPhone. I think that's a really clever idea. You can put widgets and things that are like complications on the Apple Watch. And I've just installed the beta on a second iPhone I have, and I haven't had time to play with it. But I'm really excited for that. On the other hand, that presentation of CarPlay was interesting with that long screen this is the Apple Car, I think, that they're presenting. You notice they said it wouldn't be available until late next year. So this is why would they present this now if it's not going to be out until the end of 2023? A number of comments I've seen go along the line of, why is it your phone that's getting the speed at which your car is driving to display it on your dashboard? That seems a bit dangerous and all. So I think there's a lot of speculation. You know, why do you need to see your calendar events when you're driving? If you have a self-driving car, that might be useful. But the last thing I want to point out is the fact that the iPad can now support an external display. And I took a screenshot of the presentation where Craig Federighi is sitting at a desk and he's got an iPad on a magic keyboard. It's connected to a display and he's working on the iPad and he's working on the display. Now, this isn't mirroring. This is a separate display. And the first thing I was thinking is, why doesn't he just use a Mac? I mean, why use an iPad for something like that? Right. Well, that's kind of been my thing about iPads for a long time. I'm like, okay, iPads are good, I guess. And they're adding more and more Mac type desktop features to the iPad. But why why not just get a Mac if you're going to do all that stuff? Well, if you're going to connect to an external display, I, I use my iPad Pro for work regularly. When I write an article, I write it on my Mac. And then in order to reread it, I'll go sit on the sofa in my office and do it on my iPad with the Apple Pencil. It gives me a different view of things. So, I mean, I couldn't use the iPad for everything, but there's a lot you can do with it. Very quickly, watch OS 9. There's a couple of new faces, workout views, a medications app. So you can log medications, vitamins, supplements, remind you when to take them. And apparently they've improved the sleep app, which might make it as good as some of the third-party apps. So let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about security and privacy features. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997, and our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected in 2022. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection, Net Barrier for powerful inbound and outbound firewall security, Personal Backup will keep your important files safe from ransomware, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Monterey and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. 
Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac Podcast listeners. Intego, world-class protection and utility software for Mac users. Made by the Mac security experts. Okay, so we just talked about the new operating systems available sometime this fall. I want to briefly touch on compatibility because a lot of Macs that were able to run Monterey will not be able to run Ventura. It's the same for iOS and iPadOS. One of the most surprising things is in the list of Macs that were able to run Monterey. They go back to 2013 and 2014. Now, 2013 was the Mac Pro, and it was the only one that was never updated until, what, six years later. 2014 was the Mac Mini that wasn't updated, I believe, until 2018. But there were a whole bunch of 2015 and 2016 Macs. So we're looking at Macs. A Mac sold from 2016 probably was still being sold in 2017, so we're looking at Macs that are five years old or less being compatible with macOS Ventura. Yeah, that's kind of a potential problem for a lot of people. And and I've been saying this for years, that it would be really nice if Apple supported hardware for longer. And I, I know, Kirk, you, from your perspective, you usually say yes, but it looks like they're kind of supporting things for at least six years and sometimes longer than that. And that certainly was the case last year. I mean, looking at Monterey's system requirements, because I think of those couple of models that you mentioned, the, the Mac Pro and the Mac Mini, the, those models, there were a couple of models where there was a big gap in between. And so it looked like they were still supporting some really old hardware. And I think it was... But they were supporting a, they were supporting a lot of models from 2015. So that's six years from last year. And now they're down to five years, with the oldest one supported being 2017. Yeah, and maybe Apple's argument, if you if you actually were able to get an answer out of Apple about something like this, maybe Apple's argument would be, well, but because of Stage Manager, we really need to have like better processing power and stuff. And I don't really buy that, but... But they could just say that Stage Manager doesn't work on this Mac, the same way they're saying it doesn't work on iPads that don't have M1 processors. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a fair point. And, of course, remember, I'm also coming from the perspective of somebody who has a 2007 iMac <laughs> that is actually able to run macOS Monterey with a couple of third-party modifications, but I'm able to run like a full modern current Apple operating system on such old hardware that always makes me feel like you know, there's a problem here. There's sort of a disconnect between what Apple says can run their latest operating system and what ac Apple actually allows to run their current operating system. On the iPhone, it's the same. The iPhone 7 is no longer supported. Now, the iPhone 7 was sold from September 2016 to September 2019. So it was the cheaper iPhone that was sold for a while when the iPhone 10 came out, I believe, or the, or the XS, something like that. That means that it's you could have one that's just about three years old that won't be supported anymore, and that's a bit of a problem. I was very disappointed about the dropping of iPhone 7. I actually have an iPhone 7 that I use kind of as a, a secondary device that I, I like to run iOS betas on it so that I'm not using them on my main driver iPhone. 
And now I won't be able to do that anymore, not with that model. Kind of disappointing. It really feels like the iPhone 7 is fast enough and it works well enough that it can do just about anything really well. And I was very surprised to see that dropped. In fact, one of the reasons why I got an iPhone 7 was because I assumed that probably the next to go would be the iPhone 6S. And they just skipped over that and dropped both the 6S and the 7 at the same time. Yeah. Okay, let's move on and talk about security and privacy features because there's one really interesting feature. We discussed a couple of weeks ago that Apple is has joined the FIDO Alliance, which is a group of companies that are trying to do away with passwords. And there's a new feature that Apple's calling PassKeys, which will eventually replace passwords. We've got a long process here to replace them because it has to be supported by websites and apps and all that. But as Apple's developer document explains, passkeys use iCloud keychain public key credentials, eliminating the need for passwords. Instead, they rely on biometric identification such as Touch ID and Face ID in iOS or a specific confirmation in macOS for generating and authenticating accounts. Can you explain how this works? Because these this means we don't have to remember the passwords anymore? Right. Well, and actually, one of the things that came to mind for me while they were doing this presentation was Squirrel. We mentioned Squirrel a long time ago on the podcast. Steve Gibson, who is a security podcaster, came up with this thing. Squirrel stands for Secure Quick Reliable Login, or QR. It also has in the middle there because you were able to use QR codes to authenticate yourself. But one of the things that Apple announced about passkeys was that the server that you're logging into doesn't actually have anything stored about you that could get compromised. So if somebody hacks into that server, they're not going to be able to get your password because there is no password. It's not, there's no password to store on that server. Um, that's a really interesting and I think promising feature and uh, certainly a really clever idea. Um, and that was one of the big selling points of Squirrel, which of course hasn't really caught on. It's been around and open for several years and nobody's really adopted it, unfortunately. But Apple has the power and the market share to really make something like this happen. Apple Pay has been really successful. Tons of businesses support it. It's harder to find a business that doesn't support Apple Pay these days. And so something like Passkeys, I absolutely think that this is something that could really, really take off. And Apple's the company that can make it happen. So what's interesting is they say it relies on biometric information such as Touch ID or Face ID in iOS. So you go to pay something with your Apple Pay and you have to press the two buttons and then you have to Touch ID or Face ID. I think the weakness here is the passcode that you use to get into your phone because if someone can get through that, they can reset all of this. You can erase the Face ID and, and, and roll a new face if you have the passcode. So a six-digit passcode really isn't going to be enough to protect the phone because if there's not that extra layer of protection, so your phone but then the password to get onto a website, then I think we need to teach people to use more secure passcodes. Yeah, it's good that Apple has you know, kind of encourage people to at least use a six digit passcode. I think that's a lot better than, of course, the four digit that they used to uh, encourage people to use. Six digits means that there's a million possibilities. But in reality, of course, we know that it's 
much less than that as far as the likely passwords that people are going to use. When you're talking about six digits, that makes it really easy to use a date, you know, a birth date, a marriage date, or whatever might be a significant date to that person. And very often, that's exactly what people use. So that's kind of a potential problem. If somebody knows you well enough and they steal your phone, they might be able to actually break into it and have access to a lot more than just what's on your device. They might actually be able to log into just about anything as you. Yeah, I mean, there's probably going to have people who choose the date of like Reggie Jackson's 500th home run or something like that, which is obscure enough that people won't know it. But more, most people are going to use a birth date, a wedding date or something like that. Anyway, we'll touch on this more in the future because I think this is a very interesting technology, especially because you will be able to sign in on websites and apps on other devices using a QR code. And I think that the ability that this is portable and cross-platform, I think is fascinating. Another password change, if you go to create an account on a website in Safari, Safari says, would you like me to create a strong password? And I use this very often. It's easier than switching to my password manager one password. But I come up to websites where they won't accept the password because it doesn't have an uppercase letter and a digit, uh, a special character, etc. So you will be able to edit these passwords now if you need to, to meet the requirements of specific websites. This is a good thing because I, there were some sites that you might run into before where you weren't able to use the suggested password that Apple was recommending because of certain specific requirements. So it's nice that Apple allows you to edit that just in case. Okay. They have something now called rapid security response it sounds like a tv series with chuck norris doesn't it you have some special team that's up in the firehouse and slides down the pole to you know quickly come help you actually what it is is i just want a little parenthesis here how many weeks was it between those really serious zero day vulnerabilities and apple's patch was it six weeks seven weeks it was six and a half weeks. Okay. So rapid security response is the ability for Apple to push out security updates without them being big updates. Now, we already have a thing on macOS where you can allow system files and security updates to be uh, installed in the background. And these are things like the XProtect definitions. But here, these are going to be actual security updates. And they won't require a restart. And this will be available on all three platforms. And we discussed recently how long it takes to roll out an iOS update. It can take like up to four weeks as it goes around the world. And we were suggesting to everyone manually update your iPhone and iPad as soon as possible. But it looks like here they're going to just push these out quickly instead of people being vulnerable for a longer period of time. My initial reaction when they announced this feature during the keynote was that, oh, okay, well, this must be just something that they're adding to the iPhone and iPad to kind of bring it on par with the Mac, right? And it it's nice to know that it's a little bit more than that, that they're improving the existing Mac feature and also bringing it to iPhone and iPad at the same time. Right. Now, in some cases, it won't necessarily be possible to do this without a restart. And, and that's one of the reasons why we do have the security updates we get on Mac. But we'll have to see what happens. A couple more interesting features here. Uh, protected photo albums. Did you know that you could hide photos in the Photos app? Yeah, I think I knew that. Yeah, it's not something that I've personally used, but it's a nice feature. Yeah. So when you do that, the Photos app creates an album called Hidden which is kind of obvious. <laughs> if you want to hide photos, it's called hidden. It should have just been like my photos or something. But now it's locked by default. Before there's no option, it's locked by default, as is the recently deleted album. So if you hand your phone to someone else, they can't go through your photos and see the things you don't want them to see. 
Makes sense, right? Yeah. Okay. So I, I like that. If that way, if let's say, for example, uh, you're letting somebody briefly borrow your iPhone to look up something or whatever, they're not going to be able to sneakily get into your photos app <laughs> and pull up your hidden or recently deleted photos and see what you've been taking pictures of. Also, kids will be able to hide photos from their parents. Um, yeah, I suppose so. So safety check is something that Apple has developed for people who are at risk from domestic violence. And this is actually quite clever. Very quickly, you can revoke access you've granted to someone else, to a spouse or partner. So things like location sharing, access to shared photos, and a lot more. And there's an emergency reset feature that lets you sign out of iCloud on all the other devices except the one that you have, reset everything, and limit messaging to the current device. I think that's a really good idea because... If someone is trying to get out of a relationship like that, and they do have multiple devices, they've maybe just got an iPhone with them, and if the spouse or partner has access to their other devices, that could be a problem. So I think this is a really good move on Apple's part. Right. Bravo, Apple. I, I think this is a really good thing. People, especially over the last year, the, Apple's gotten a lot of negative press because of AirTag and how how it can potentially be used to track people when they don't necessarily want to be tracked. So it's nice to see that Apple's been really thinking thinking hard about how they can improve these situations where there might be risk of domestic violence and so forth. Okay, you know how on an iPhone or an iPad you get these dialogues when you install an app to give permission to access your contacts and your calendars and your photos? Well, there's going to be a new one. Apps will have to request access to information you have copied to the pasteboard. So as it is now, you copy some text the next app you switch to can read what's there automatically. And I think this is a very good permission. I can't see them putting this on the Mac because it's just so common to copy and paste from app to app. I am so thankful for this. I feel like this is what they should have done a couple of years ago when they introduced the feature that notified you that an app was copy had copied something from your pasteboard right now they'll they'll actually have a new permission to block that from happening unless you really want some other app to copy whatever's on your pasteboard. Okay, last but not least, Face ID will finally work in landscape. And this is more of a, an issue on iPads, but on larger iPhones that can work in landscape also this will work. I thought, why has it been so long? They've had Face ID on, on iPads for, for years. And so, you know, I pick up my iPad, I want to watch a movie or something, and I have to turn it because just reflexively, I pick it up in portrait mode and I have to turn it to unlock it. Yes, I've, I agree 100%. This is a long overdue feature, but I'm very happy to see this finally coming to iPhone and iPad. Okay, the new Macs, the MacBook Air and the MacBook Pro, will be out sometime next month. We'll let people know when they're going to be available. All these operating systems are in the fall, as usual. We don't know if it's September, October, November. There is just one app that I didn't mention called Freeform, which is like a whiteboard where you can brainstorm. And that's like coming next year. Everything else is supposed to be in, in the release in the fall. Until next week, Josh, stay secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com.